And I think this defines where they love a feller best. But John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word as we uphold God's truth here at Northwest Baptist, we believe that this is the very authority that God has given to us, and it is the word of God in which we obey. John chapter 13, verse 34, page 900 in the Pew Bible in front of you, if you'd like to read on with us, it says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray, Lord, for a love that is extravagant. A love that only comes from you and your spirit that lives inside of us, Father. We know that we cannot love apart from you. Father, when people walk into this place, when they walk into our community group, Father, we pray that they would see a love that is extravagant, a love that cannot be explained only by the love of God, the love of Christ. Lord, may we truly be a place in which the visitor is never a stranger. May we open our doors to those in need and show them the love that Christ has for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There is a love that is self-seeking. And then there is a love that is a Christ-like love. A love that is unconditional. A love that is breathtaking. A love that is undeserved. Examples of this love can be very simple. Forgiving someone who has hurt you. Giving your life, sacrificing for someone, maybe your child, who doesn't even recognize the sacrifice. Or it could be as simple as taking your time out of your day to listen to someone else. Whatever people see, do they see the love of God in you? One of the most influential stories in my life is the story of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. If you've ever heard their story, there's a movie called Beyond the Gates of Splendor. I encourage you to watch it. There's also a book called Through the Gates of Splendor. It tells a journey of a family a family that was called to go and be the church where God had sent them. On January 3rd, 1956, Jim and Elliot and four other missionaries 
landed on a small strip of land in the jungles of Ecuador where God had sent them to go. For years they had been dreaming and planning of this moment. Their hearts were set on reaching the Aka Indians with the good news of Christ. They felt as if God was sending them to tell these people the gospel, the good news that Christ saves sinners, that he has love for us, this God who loves us and has a plan for us and wants to be with us. The problem was the Akas were a notoriously dangerous tribe. No one had reached them because of this. Some had exchanged gifts, but the Akas always had attacked these people, these missionaries. So for three months, these missionaries had been regularly flying over the area, dropping gifts and shouting greetings. When they landed, they built a hut and waited for the Akas to come and find them. They eventually did, and after friendly contact, with three of the Aka Indians, they attacked all five men and were speared to death. They were attempting to take the gospel to a people who had never heard of the, of the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Jim left behind his wife, Elizabeth, and their 10-month-old daughter, Valerie. At some point, she could have said, I'm overcome with grief. I, I cannot stay in Ecuador. I cannot stay here with these people. I'm anxious. I'm scared. I'm overwhelmed. I'm broken. I just want to go home. And no one would have blamed her. Many times throughout my life, I've thought this. Maybe you have too. I've got nothing to offer to people. It's too hard to be the church, I just can't. But she, empowered by the Holy Spirit, continued working in Ecuador. And the Lord brought her two women who were Aka Indians. She ended up going back into the village in which her husband was killed, and she lived there for two years, sharing the gospel with the people, with the Christ like love. She was the living example of Christ to these people. The love that Jesus showed her, she was able to extend that kind of love to these people. And they ended up coming to Christ. This type of love can only be found in people who don't see age or color or race or gender or wrongs or rights or past. They see Christ. They see themselves as saved by grace and want to extend that grace to others. You see, this kind of love can only be given when someone understands the grace that God has given to them and he extends and they extend that grace to others. When we look at this passage, we see Jesus, he spent three years with his disciples showing them this kind of love, modeling for what it looks like 
He's just finished washing their feet. Jesus, the master, the son of God, washing the feet of the disciples, even Judas, who would betray him. Judas betrayed Jesus. He had clean feet. Did you know that? Why? Because Jesus washed them. We arrive here at verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It is interesting. He begins this section by saying, a new commandment I give to you. How is this commandment new? The Old Testament explicitly said to love your neighbor. Leviticus 19.18 says this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus even affirms this later when asked about the greatest commandment. In Matthew 22.36, he says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is confirming to us that the Old Testament says to love our neighbor. So how is this a new commandment? How is Jesus giving us a new commandment? Well, the difference is the next phrase that Jesus says, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You see, now we are to love like Christ loved. We're not to love just as ourself. The love is now to proclaim the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not a love that just matches a love for yourself, but even a greater love. A self-sacrificial love. A love that is even more extravagant than a love for yourself. Our first point comes to that second sentence after he says a new commandment I give to you. Or that phrase that you love one another. This is our first point this morning. The church is to love. Don't you love these old pictures of the church, the people? They have a huge children's ministry there at the beginning. If you ever wondered, if you looked at this picture intensely. Lots of love. You see, this group that Jesus is calling for them to love one another is the first group that is identified as something other than age or race or culture or geography. It would be a group of people identified by their love. Jesus has spent the last three years teaching them what it means to love each other what it means to love God, 
So why is it hard for us to understand these concepts? Well, one of the reasons is our world has twisted the word love in many different directions. When somebody says love, they have a million thoughts running through their mind. Is it Valentine's Day, right? Is, is that my girlfriend? I love pizza, right? We don't even know where this word is coming from. It's hitting us all different directions. It's a good thing the Bible defines love for us. And it defines love as an action. Not a reaction, but an action. Love is defined in 1 Corinthians 13. Not as what others do for you, but what you do for others. It is your action towards others. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says this, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. When we think of love, our first thought is, what have others done for us? I love pizza, right? I said that earlier. What are you doing for pizza? No, that's a false advertisement of the word. Love is acting on behalf of others. I love my wife by fixing her dinner. Why is this word so messed up? Well, for one reason, in the Greek, there are four words in which translate the word for love in the English into one word, love. There is eros, in which we get the word erotic, a sensual love, often associated with appetite, feeding one's own desire. This is not the word obviously used here in John 13, but it is referred to in the English language. When someone says love, they often think of that self-seeking, sensual type love. The second word in the Greek is phileo, a brotherly love and friendship, liking of something or someone. This may be where we get, I love pizza. But again, that's not the word used to define love in the Bible. It's where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. There's a third Greek word, storhe, a family type of love, a love a mother has for her son, a blood relative type love. Again, there are some similarities between this definition, but it's not the term used here. And then you have the agape, and he turns it into the verb form, agapao, agapao, yes, an unconditional love, a self-sacrificing love. John 13, 34 is read like this. A new commandment I give to you, that you agape one another. Just as I have agaped you, you also are to unconditionally love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have agape, Christ-like, unconditional love for one another. Before he tells us what love is, 
he tells us our life without love. In 1 Corinthians 13, he begins that section telling us that love that works or anything that we do without love is just a noisy gong. Think of this, uh, this instrument and all the orchestra and all the choir. By the way, choir, you guys did a fantastic job this morning. But think, yeah, yeah, go ahead and give it up for them. That's good. Yeah. But think of this. What if we just had a noisy gong up here? We're just playing that alone by itself. Not very great, is it? You have to add other things to make it great. Add to add the ingredient of love. Now, let's put it in 1 Corinthians 13. It says this. If I speak in tongues of men and angels but not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but not love, I gain nothing. Let's put it in terms that maybe we can understand in today's world. Great. You have four degrees, that's wonderful. You have a beautiful house, you make six-digit salary, you have a new car, that's great. You have a good job, man, I'm happy for you. How are you loving your wife? How are you loving your kids? How do you love the stranger across the street? How do you love your employees, your coworkers? How about your boss? How do you love your enemies? With love, all of these things and these blessings that God gives to us makes life like a symphony, making sweet melody. You see, with love, you have degrees so that you can reach people, you can teach people, You can share your knowledge. You have a beautiful home and in love you invite people to come over and enjoy it with you. You have a six digit salary in which if you have love you can bless other people with gifts in which God has given to you. You have a great job. You can love your employees, your staff. Wife, Do you want to be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal in your husband's ear? Love him. Parents, do you want your children to listen to you? You've got to love them. Without love, it just comes across to others as noise. No meaning, no purpose, no beauty. He goes on, if I have all the knowledge in the world, all the ability to communicate clearly the gospel, talking about myself, and faith to move mountains, but if I don't have love, I am nothing. Church, listen. If we, even if we have the best theology, 
the best preaching of the word, the best people teaching the word of God, run the best programs, have the best leadership, have the best organization, and have the greatest faith in God that anyone has ever seen and don't have love, it is if we do not exist. We are nothing. You see, our work is in vain unless we can love the person that we're talking to. Our worship is in vain unless we can love the God who saved us. Our preaching is in vain unless we love the congregation and God's people. Our work on our marriage is in vain unless we can love our spouse. Our work with our kids and disciplining them is in vain unless we love them. It's as if we're not even here if we do not have love. Sometimes we ask the question to ourselves why does it feel like I'm just spinning? as a hamster in this wheel of life, just spinning, going round and round, doesn't go anywhere. Maybe it doesn't have to do with the other people around us. Maybe it has to do with ourself. Maybe we're trying to do all of these things, but really what we're missing is the key ingredient, which is love. Dr. Carl Minninger founded the Winter Veterans Administration Hospital in Topeka, Kansas. Became the largest psychiatric training center in the world. He said this, love is the medicine, secular man, medical world, psychiatric world. He said this, love is the medicine for our sick old world. If people can learn to give and receive love, they will usually recover from their physical and mental illness. To learn how to give and receive love, one must actually experience this love, understand this love. And that's what Paul That's what the writer John says here. I'm still in Ephesians, right? But the writer John says in verse 34 in the second part, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. The church, this is our second point this morning, the church loves with a gospel love. The church loves with a gospel, a Christ-like love. You see, this Christ-like love is expressed to us through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. This unconditional love. 1 John 4.16 says this, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. You see, God in his nature alone is 
love. God wants to show himself and what love is. And he does that through Christ. His love for redeeming his creation that has been broken and marred by sin to come and rescue those who are sinners in the midst of their sin to take the full penalty, the full weight of their sin upon himself, upon the cross. The righteous and holy Son of God who would come down from heaven to be born of a virgin, to take on on flesh, to make his dwelling among us. He would live with humanity. He would meet the needs of people. He would show them love even in their sin. And then he would offer up himself as as a sacrifice, his body beaten and bruised, his life laid down for sinners, God's love on display. This is the unconditional love that God has for us. 1 John 4.10 says this. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That that word propitiation, the wrath of God satisfied, the judgment of God coming down upon Christ, upon the cross that was deserved for us. That is how we are able to be with him in heaven is God poured out his wrath upon Christ instead of you and me. This is the love that Christ shown to us. Patient kindness self-sacrificing love. We cannot help but love others when we understand, when we grasp, when this becomes a part of us, the grace that God has given to us. We cannot help but extend that grace to others and love extravagantly because of our, our, our God who desperately loved us that desperately wanted us to be with him and to be made righteous. God himself taking on the form of man, but humbling himself even to death, the death on a cross. This is the type of love that the church has. This is the Elizabeth Elliot type of love. It's an irresponsible love. Sometimes we think, oh, well, that's probably not responsible of me to love someone or to give someone or to do this thing. And yet, we were so undeserving. And Christ loved us and showed grace to us. Verse 35. I've got to get going. We've got a bunch of baptisms today, and they're going to walk in the door in seven minutes. So I've got to wrap up here. Verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is our third point this morning. All people know that you, the people, are the church of the living God. 
the body of Christ by your love. All people know who you are and what you're about because of your love for one another, your love in Christ. I'm convinced that our culture today, that our young people in which we're trying to reach the next generation, speak through this crazy language of crazy love. I'm convinced that we can't just fold it over their eyes or put it over their eyes. I'm convinced that the next generation knows when someone is just trying to herd them through like cattle, just giving them the next thing to do. You see, there's a lot of noise in our culture even from the age of very young, my kids' age, five or six, they understand that there is a lot of people selling them a load of lies. I read an article the other day that only talked about the research that a legit news station was doing on Facebook articles in which they found five false articles they researched were false in one day So they researched all the articles on their own news feed and found five to be false. I'm sure there's more than that, but that was just their research. Another research done by the British newspaper said that one in four women on Facebook lied about what they were doing. One in four women would sit in their living room eating potato chips and then get dressed up and take a picture to act like they were going out to do something fun. So now we have news medias telling us lies, right? We have people only telling us half truths or just the best parts of their life. And now we're expected to take everything people say and say, oh yeah, that's truth. No, you see the the, the generation that comes after us is conditioned to not listen to what you have to say. They want to see it lived out in their life. 